Hi all and welcome to episode 5. You're tuning into the Other Way podcast where two Asian guys explore navigating modern life with creative intervention. This is Nick, your host. And I'm David. And today we're going to jump right in into your story, David. For listeners out there, if you know, David is actually a digital nomad, which means he lives location independent and works remotely. Well, how does that even work, right? <laughs> and you're currently living in uh, Istanbul right now, right? Yeah, that's David? correct. Yeah. And uh, working as he travels around the world, you know, like, so today I think we're going to dive in straight down into what that means in being a digital nomad, some experiences, and also maybe there's some short segment of how you plan your finances and logistics to enable a life like this, you know? So let's jump right in. My first question to you, you know, David, like, how do you end up becoming a digital nomad like what is the digital nomad yeah so you know as you reiterated right so like i work remotely and i could and that means i could work from home uh, i didn't have to leave the city that i was that i got the job in right so i could have stayed in california i could have stayed in america but i decided to actually upend everything and start to travel and not travel within the us but travel the world so that that is what digital nomad is and actually my life started out pretty pretty normally right i was i had a you know fairly regular job in la and I was living there for about three years. And towards the end of it, you know, I was actually kind of feeling depressed. So, you know, my work situation was deteriorating. You know, lots of people in the company were leaving. The company wasn't growing. Friends outside of work in LA were also leaving. And my relationship just ended. Uh, my partner moved away. So it was the kind of those three things combined. I was kind of in a very bad state emotionally and mentally. And so I just needed a wow. change, right? Was there, was there like something happening at a point in time was in LA that caused such a big shift or... So, so is it macro or rather like it's just an individual thing at a point in time? Yeah, I, I think, you know, LA is a very transient city, right? So people come and go and uh-huh. you, you need not to also be in entertainment, right? You could be in any industry. And so it's quite normal sometimes for people to like move to LA for one or two years and then pick up and move to the next opportunity. So, you know, my company was a startup company and, you know, startups come and go, right? And so there's much more of a transient community uh, when you are in the startup space. So I think that had something to do with it. And also at the time, right, LA was kind of getting more and more expensive. And so, you know, people were also maybe moving on to like better opportunities where the cost of living was lower. So I, I think it's a little bit of both, right? I think it was the macroeconomic condition and also just my own personal circumstance. Right, right. And I guess, I guess both really trickles down and it kind of causes kind of discomfort, right? Yeah, exactly, right? And so that was mm. kind of the sign, right? Some Something was telling me that I needed a change. And so I kind of took all these, you know, all these negative events as as like a momentum. So I figured, okay, what, what, what you know, what, what do I want to do? And so I was at a point where I had saved enough money to quit and travel for a few years. And I was about to do that, but you know, a stroke of luck happened. So I was contacted by a recruiter with an opportunity for a remote job. And I was like thinking to myself, oh, should I should I go for it? You know, should I apply? Uh, or should I just quit and just travel, right? And so I decided, you know what, like I have nothing to lose. So, you know, with these you know, with these kind of coding interviews and I'm a software engineer, you know, you have to you have to study for it, right? You have to 
usually do like a coding challenge. There, you know, there's a lot of work when it comes to like interviewing for programming jobs. But I said, you know what, give it a go, right? And if I got it and I and I decided to travel and it didn't work out with the job, you know, I could leave and already be abroad, right? So to me, I thought that was pretty low risk. So I decided to to do it. And thankfully, you know, I got the job and, you know, my employee, you know, my employer was quite okay with me, not only sort of being remote within the U.S., but to travel the world uh, globally. So, and that's what I've been doing for the last 18 months. Cool. And when, when you say em- this uh, employer reached out to you, right? What Do you do anything before intentionally or was it just really like a stroke of luck? Like they just landed, you know, on your laps and stuff? Yeah. So, you know, I always have to say that like for most jobs, you always want to have a LinkedIn profile, right? So even if, you know, even if you're not actively looking, I always keep my online presence on these job boards up to date. And so, you know, at the time, and it still is that programming jobs are are in high demand. And so it would be quite, you know, it'd be quite common that I usually get reached out to maybe a couple of times a month uh, by random recruiters saying, hey, we have this opportunity for this like engineering role, it's remote or it's in the LA area. And I usually say, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm happy with my current job. But with this with this role, it was it would just hit me at the right time, right? It was exactly what I wanted to do, which is a remote job, and it was at the time when my current job right now was not doing so good. So, so in a way, like everything aligned. Wow. Okay, that, that that's quite a story. For me, I haven't. I've been trying to look for a remote job for I think for the past three years. Not that I could find any as well. Perhaps it's not just in Singapore, but so you're saying that maybe in other countries there are such opportunities available. Yeah. And actually, I think that, you know, it doesn't yet to be, you know, I, I think it's it's growing, right? I think it was not the same in America, maybe five, 10 years ago. So I think more and more uh-huh. companies are becoming more comfortable with their employees being more location independent. And I think the first step is like working from home, right? Like, you know, there's no mm-hmm. office, you could just work from the same city. But that's kind of the first step, right? If you can work from home, why can't you then work from home, but like, you know, in a different town in your area, right? I mean, that could be work as well. And so I think that becomes more expansive over time where employers might feel more comfortable with you, you know, working from a different state or country altogether. That's true. That's true. Let's let's talk about your fears that you encountered, you know, when you were deciding on this path, you know, what were the things that went through your mind when actually deciding on this path? I think about it as fear both ways, right? It's it's mm-hmm. the fear of doing it, right? So yeah, you maybe know, feels an yeah. opportunity. Yeah, you can share with us both. That yeah, would be great as well. so I think obviously the you know fear of change, right? Like I don't know, you know, it's it's a big change, right? To be to have an apartment in Los Angeles, to have everything steady for the last few years, and to, to and then to uproot everything, right? To get out of the city, to sell your car, to travel the world. I think. It is kind of the, you know, it's like, can I really do this, right? It's like, oh man, it seems like a big undertaking and it's and it's quite unknown, right? And yeah, and in a way, it yeah. feels like it's a, you're losing your entire life system that we've bit, built for like past, you know, five, 10 years and everything. Everything, everything is just like a, once uh, you let, let it go one all at once and it's kind of scary. It is, right? right? And it's, you know, to a certain extent, finances, right? It's not that I would be homeless per se, right? I never feared that I was going to be homeless, but it's more like, you know, by maybe taking this risk financially, right? Maybe working, working remote. Could I do this? Could I succeed? It's a new company, right? When you're a new company, you're like starting a new, right? And so you don't have that seniority, unlike your previous company. 
And then I was thinking, well, I'm taking a little bit more financial risk now. Could I be hurting my financial well-being later on, right? By doing a riskier move. So, so that's kind of the fear going into it. And now the fear of not doing it. So obviously it was just more like fear of missing out because I have this opportunity. And if I didn't try to do it, I would always wonder like, what if, what if? So it's like kind of the fear of missing out or we call it in America FOMO. And it's just kind of the you know fear of the world passing you by where like you feel stuck, right? You feel like you're not getting, you're not getting ahead in life. You're at the same company. Everyone's leaving to do other things, not necessarily better things, but other things. And then it's kind of like having this anxiety about not living the life that you really wanted. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was thinking when I was trying to make that decision, like, I think what really helped me is kind of envisioning not what my life would be five years later, but what my life would be immediately, like, say, six months or a year later. And so when I put those two, like, A and B side by side, if I didn't take the job and I was at the same company, I'd be kind of miserable in LA at the same apartment, not saving a lot, didn't have a lot of friends, had to rebuild all of that again. or could I be potentially living in Asia and, you know, like meeting new people and having a new adventure and maybe, you know, like what, the, like would the job be a lot of work, right? I didn't know exactly what, what were the demands of for that new role, but I decided to take the more daring choice and I decided to take a leap forward and take the challenge. Just curious, you know, when you were kind of deciding on this path, right? Do you actually have like digital nomad friends, you know, any kind of references for you to kind of build your vision of who you want to be? How would this life work, you know? Or do you just kind of imagine it up from scratch and just like, like took a chance? Yeah, so I didn't have any immediate friends or family that was doing this. Um, You know, I have, I know people who kind of work from home, Right. So they just, you know, they work from home and doing for a few years, but nothing like this whole like digital nomad lifestyle. But, you know, the power of the internet, right? So I've been following, you know, YouTube channels. I've been reading a lot of blogs for people who have done this before. And it's grown, it's gone really popular over the last few years. And that's kind of helped me to create this vision in my mind that I could do this as well. Like I knew in the back of my mind that I always want to do it. I just needed to have this opportunity come up. And so that really helped me. Mm. Actually, I can relate to your story on many levels as well. I think for myself, recently just quit my job as well. I think a lot of why uh, it resulted to me quitting the job is because I think five years of just really hustling in in both like a corporate and startup environment. I learned a lot, but eventually I think things came to a point where I started feeling unfulfilled. I was in and out of job every, every two years. I learned the things that I wanted to learn, but I never really felt happy. And I think what I really wanted in my life was really freedom, right? This whole thing of freedom and this whole thing of owning something that I call, call totally my own, right? So in a sense of like a business or, or, or being financially free, a portfolio that, is, I, that I can call my own. So the thought of that, the anxiety of knowing like if I'm in this job, building something actively day in, day out, and at the end of the road, you know, I can exit this, this job not actually owning any part of it. Because once you leave a job, whatever you do for this company, it, it's owned by this company, you see. So whatever you leave behind, it's a asset of the company, not yours. And all you have is kind of like maybe experiences, a time title and that's about it i felt it wasn't worth it because the effort versus the return on your investment of your time and energy is just very different so when it becomes really low for you that's usually the turning point because that's when you really become more aware of the opportunities around you and for some reason some of these opportunities will just shine through right for example for yours is that caught the employer that suddenly appeared 
And this kind of gave you the courage to just, hey, just take it on. Or whereas it may be if like uh, two years before when you were actually feeling more stable in your job and everything was going well, it might not have been a thing, might not have been a consideration, right? Yeah, exactly, right? So things yeah. in your life need to be suitable for you to take this leap, right? And I also want to bring up a good point that, you know, it is, I think before, right, people think of this lifestyle as being very like unorthodox, very unusual. But I'm here to challenge that notion to say that, you know what, actually, it's quite normal to to kind of go out and, and get what you want in life, right? Like that that is nothing, that is nothing out of the ordinary, right? So you I are agree, agree. doing something to get better, right? You're not taking this big risk. You are getting out there to really get what you want in life. And I think that's a very normal thing to do. Essentially, it's actually the same thing that we've been doing ever since young, right? We've always been out there to build a better life, right? For ourselves, it's just which approach we do. So be it getting like a nine to five job, be get getting like a better paying job, or be it embarking on this journey, which gives you freedom, but you're also kind of still fighting for your life. You're doing something valuable for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, so I agree with that, yeah. What about work, you know, like David? What's like regular work day for you? How has work been? Yeah, so actually with this, again, it's pretty normal, right? So, you know, my my day kind of varies, right? So, you know, I like to work, I usually work normal business hours in the place that I'm in. And, uh, you know, lately, you know, I still work like the five days a week, but usually what I do is I front load my week. So I try to work more hours Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I kind of coast to the weekend. So I work a little less Thursday, Friday. And that's kind of how I set up my schedule over the last year, year and a half. It actually, for me, that's the most efficient. Uh, and I tell people, right, you got to decide what schedule, what schedule works for you. And so some people like to work on the weekends as well. I don't think there's a set plan. You know, in our company, what we do is, you know, we are results oriented, right? As a coder, it doesn't matter if I could work like, you know, two 48 hour days, like two 24 hour days, right? If I could get my work done in that week, then I don't think, you know, my boss doesn't care how I sort of manage my own schedule. So I think you know, having that empowerment is very important, right? But also you need to like be accountable to your own. So I think that sometimes can be a challenge if you feel that there's no one kind of telling you you need to work right now at this hour. But I think my main point is that my day-to-day life is pretty, pretty, still pretty normal, right? I get up, go to the gym and then work. And that's typically what my workday looks like. And I think that similarity makes the whole like digital nomad life more compelling, right? It's not very different from from working a normal job, a normal corporate job, right? In your own home city, right? You get up in the morning, you go to work and you might commute a little bit more, but it's pretty much the same thing, but with more flexibility. Mm. What about deadlines and stuff? Because I could imagine both my experiences, at least in Singapore, when uh, in a corporate job or when I was doing freelance, the deadlines tend to be pretty cutthroat mm-hmm. most of the times. Yeah, so sometimes you're just like being asked, oh, you know, like, when can this be done and everything? And it, 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 you, you kind of just start to encounter this work stress where you need to just cut what you're doing and then go back to work. Yeah. It, so, does that happen for you as well? Yeah, so I think it depends on, I think every work situation is different. And so for, usually for engineers, we do this thing called a weekly sprint where we kind of mm. scope out enough work that is feasible to do within a week's time. So then I could sort of manage that week however I want. However, there are some like last minute customers that might come and say, hey, David, can you build this really quickly? We need to get this feature out. And, you know, you know, like a lot of it just, again, involves like communication to, to and, and it's okay to push back and to say, okay, well, you know, we, we want to do this work and are we okay deprioritizing this work? So I think it's usually just like in any kind of, whether you're remote or you're not remote, is always that communication piece, right? What, you know, what can be done reasonably 
and like what can we is this too much for one person to handle right so i think i think communication is the key there right um one thing about sort of the communication style is that you know people ask me like do i need to be on during use do us business hours right so thankfully for my role as a coder i do not so i i kind of you know i work usually off us business hours and actually Sometimes it actually works out well because if I push code, it's actually sometimes the middle of the night US time. So that's actually the best time to push code just because I could identify bugs. It's not a high traffic time. So if something goes wrong, you know, normal customers won't be as affected, right? Because there's low traffic. However, you know, I know a lot of people, I've met a lot of Americans who work, who have to work business hours and they're traveling. And, you know, if you work in, say, South America, then it's no problem because if you work in South America, then the hours are consistent with with your, you know, with North America, right? If you work in Europe, it's fine because then you can work in the evenings. I think it's a little trickier if you work in Asia, just because if you work normal business hours in Asia, it's technically midnight to 8 a.m., uh, U.S. West Coast time, so that's a little bit more challenging, right? But I actually was able to meet this this American guy who did just that. He he works midnight to eight a.m. and he loves it. He says, "Yeah, I'd rather be in Bangkok than be in my apartment in Denver." And he actually he never actually told his company that he was doing it. So he actually <laughs> created an IP tunnel from his apartment in America so that. When his boss sees where he's been, it seems as if he's logging in online from his apartment in 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 America. So there's many ways you could do it. That's really smart. I'm very inspired. Yeah. <laughs> and how do you stay in touch with your people from your workplace? You know, if you don't see them that regularly, right? Is that are there many Zoom calls or you guys are kind of just work remotely and just connect when you need to? Yeah. So because you know, I our company for the longest time has been a remote first company, so we actually don't have an office. So. The culture when I came when I came on board, uh, you know the, you know I was able to like I didn't have to I didn't change the company culture in any way, right? We basically have one meeting a week, a weekly meeting, and then everything else we could communicate via email. And then I would have a one-on-one every two weeks with my boss. So you know, working abroad, I sometimes we need to change up, you know, when I would have my one-on-ones depending on what part of the world that I'm in. But no, we we just leverage technology like like Zoom. And we and and we just we we're good at like doing everything online via email. And we when we sort of divide the work or basically figure out what we're going to do for that week, it it is done in such a way that I I could be I, I know what I need to do without a lot of follow up. So I could work independently. So I think that's really worked. That's cool. That's cool. So I think we definitely have a better idea of how how you decided in this path and what what it's like. Let's talk about your highlights and experiences. Maybe more of the let's share about more of the tragic stuff. <laughs> I, I think we we all know like travel traveling sometimes gives us pretty good surprises. Sometimes during during your whole journey as a digital nomad, you know, like was there any worst financial decision, any move that kind of stuck to you now? Like okay, that was the worst financial decision I ever ever made. Yeah. So I was I was thinking about this question and mm-hmm. you know actually to be honest i really can't think of any financial regrets right in fact it's actually the quite it's actually the exact opposite you know i've been able to save much more money by doing something called geo arbitrage where you can make money in a high cost country and then spend it in a low cost country i think a lot of it is having a plan to avoid unexpected financial events right so when you're traveling abroad like with anything right you want to get travel insurance 
You want to research places before going to them. You want to have an emergency fund and you want to get medical insurance. Those are the things, right? If you get hit by a bus and it's like, it's like being in Singapore, right? Being in, like in LA, it's the same thing, right? Like you need to have all these things so that if anything were to happen to you, that you are covered financially. So insurance is the big key. And, you know, I understand that during COVID that I've, I've heard of instances, and this is what I've heard happen to my friend that, you know, they made a reservation through an, via Airbnb on an apartment and then the country got shut down and so they couldn't go there anymore. And so they're worried like, oh, you know, am I, am I out of, am I out of luck, right? Will I get a refund back on my reservation? Uh, luckily, right, a lot of these companies are very flexible. So even with during COVID, that if you cannot travel there, like if you want to travel there, but you can't, usually the host or the platform will give you back your money. So again, it's very little risk. I've had one or two canceled flights uh, in the last year while traveling, but I've been able to get my money back every single time. So, so far, so good. And I've never been, I've never been robbed. I never have been scammed. <laughs> so, so again, like luckily, luckily everything has been, been good so far. And most other digital nomads had, have had no issues. And in fact, they've been actually saving more money during this time. Mm. What about any, any, was there any travel incidents that left a scar on you? Any, mm. any, anything like that? You know, I, I was always kind of, I, I tend to be like a hypochondriac. So like I'm sometimes very afraid of getting sick. And so I was always mm-hmm. worried in the back of my mind, right? Will I get COVID? Will I be fine? And I've been to probably at least half a dozen places this year yep. and yeah you know i i try to like you know when people are coughing i try to stay away but i've not be I've very not. asian about it right? yeah yeah i try, I try to wear a mask yeah. i try to social distance right i try to take care of my health i've been going back to the gym i think that is kind of the thing that i'm worried about the most right could i get sick and if i get sick will i have enough could i get the right medical care right so you know again i try to plan for that right i try to stay in major cities where they have pretty good hospitals. And so, you know, in Berlin, in Stockholm, in Istanbul, when I was in Singapore, these are all cities with really good hospitals. And again, having the medical insurance is very, very important, right? Just in case I do get sick, I want to make sure I'm covered. And again, being flexible, right? If you, if you're planning to go to a place and it gets shut down or COVID cases are extremely high, you know, you might want to consider traveling there or, well, once you get there, right, you want to probably not go out very often. So, you know, for me, I always get my own place, right? Except when I was in Stockholm, I was living with friends. But when I'm traveling by myself, I I don't, I mean, obviously I get my own place. I don't stay in hostels. I don't stay usually with another host. Uh, I live on my own. And so I think that cuts down on the COVID risk. Nice, nice, nice. So it's good to just uh, kind of plan all the risks so that whenever, wherever you go, no matter where you go, I think you're more or less safe and you can kind of continue this adventure in a very consistent manner, right? Exactly. And, and this is yeah. to say, right, you will thrive. If you plan, right, with a little bit of planning and a positive attitude, you will thrive in any place that you'll be because you also meet a lot of travelers from all over the world and in a way it feels that energy. So there's like this big community of people who are doing just exactly what you're doing as as well. And they, you know, we all kind of share travel tips and we're all kind of helping each other. And that's really important as well. That's amazing. Now let's talk about uh, maybe more practical side of things. You know, so these are really great stories and it's probably maybe triggering a lot of our listeners like, oh, maybe I want to be a digital nomad. You know, it could be something that's quite possible for me as well. So maybe let's, let's dig in a little bit on practical side. 
knowing how nomading work, maybe you could share some ways of how listeners, how, how can we explore this whole lifestyle from a very financial planning and logistic kind of side? How do you plan your financials and accommodation? Yeah, and so this is always what's on the mind with a lot of digital nomads, right? Like we are, we are mm-hmm. very, very, you know, we are like money nerds and we are like math nerds. And so we always are trying to, you know, we, we most of us keep, you know, very tight budgets. They know where the money is going. They're able to forecast because that's a really, that's a important thing, right? You know, simply put, right? If you want to do this, it's usually traditionally one of three ways, right? Number one is to find a remote job, which is the most common route that most people take. Number two is to be your own boss, right? AKA the entrepreneur route. Or number three, to have enough money, which is something called FIRE, which means financially independent, retire early, which we could talk about in another episode. Mm. But those are the three main ways, right? And so, you know, for my case, it's number one, right? I was able to find a remote job that allows me to travel. And so, you know, with that, you know, I've been able to sort of, you know, I don't need to dip into my savings. I could I could do my job, I could make money, I could spend it and also save them, save the rest, save the excess. And so people always wonder, okay, well, how much, like how much money are you saving? You know, where are you living? Like, well, what are those considerations, right? So I think the first point is like this whole concept of geo-arbitrage, right? Like, which means, again, leveraging the fact that if you could make money in a high-cost country, then spending it in a low-cost country. So it doesn't really make sense, right? If you could, you know, if you're an American, you make you make American money, but then you go off to say Switzerland and live there, right? I don't, there's not a lot of digital nomads. There's not a lot of digital nomads in say Sweden or Switzerland, just because the cost of living is actually higher than than the US, right? It actually makes more sense to like say live in Portugal or Estonia or Eastern Europe because the cost of living is way less, right? And it's not to say that you cannot, you can never not live in these countries or, or, or travel there, right? I'm just saying that you know, if you want to have a variation of different uh, of different countries to visit, visit you have to like kind of split your time, right? So you know, one one kind of traditional way to do it is say, for example, you live eight months in a low cost country, and for example, this could be like Vietnam, this could be Thailand, and then you could live two months in say a medium cost country, and that could be maybe Portugal or Germany. Germany actually surprisingly is not t- too expensive to live, and then if you really wanted to, you could live you know two months in a high cost country, and this could be you know the states. This could be Switzerland. This could be Stockholm, for example. So you have that variation, right? The more the more time that you spend in a low cost country, the more you'll save. And so and then then you know the question is, okay, well, how much do you spend per month in these these countries, right? And so then I kind of bucketed into like low, medium, high cost, right? So like say in a low cost country, and we're talking about U.S. dollars, right? So. I think in Bangkok, for example, people say that you could get by on like a thousand dollars or a thousand fifteen a month in Bangkok. I don't think it's actually possible unless you want to like live it's in a hostel. It's just it's really hard, right? It's, I don't I don't know yep. unless you want to like live in a hostel, like pay five dollars a day, and then like eat street food, chicken rice for like two dollars a day. Like it's just not. It's what, what kind of life is that, right? So so a more a more realistic budget would be probably about two thousand dollars USD a month in Bangkok. Mm-hmm. So if you extrapolate that for the year, that's like 25,000 a year. And you know, that's that's really good. I mean, if you think about it, right? Like versus I know friends and you know, when living in New York, living in San Francisco, you'd be lucky if you can get away with spending less than 50 to 60,000 a year, right? Like most people will spend 80 to 100,000 a year living in those two cities because it's not only 
it's it's not only housing, right? It's also just a lifestyle because everyone's going out, everything's more expensive. It's that pressure to spend money. And that's why you could really rack up the bills very quickly. And I think Bangkok, to an extent, you could do that because there's so many things to do. And Bangkok is weird things where, and I was, you know, Bangkok is actually my favorite city, but you have so much variability. You could live more like a local, more like an expat. So that's why, you know, kind of a bare minimum in Bangkok is 2000. But if you want to like live, quote unquote, a high class, like a New York lifestyle in Bangkok, you could budget maybe 3000 a month. So it's a sliding scale of lifestyle in a city like Bangkok. Now, if you want to go, if you're more budget conscious, if you want to try to like live more bare bones, you could live in Chiang Mai, which is Thailand's second biggest city. And you maybe you could get away with spending 1500 as like a pretty comfortable lifestyle. And if you want to go bare bones, maybe a thousand, less than a thousand. But again, like I don't recommend it. And then if you want to go up the scale, I don't know if this is, if you agree with this, Nick, but I think that in Singapore, you might have to budget 3000 US dollars a month to live, I think a pretty decent lifestyle. And this is getting your own place or sharing, like getting your own accommodations. You can't live at home. So, yep. you know, Singapore is, I think, definitely more expensive. And then Hong Kong and London, you're talking about like $4,000 a month. So... You know, like, you know, if you, I mean, obviously, like, for Americans, if you get a remote job, like, you could definitely get a job that pays at least $25,000 a year, right? So, so Bangkok mm-hmm. is a really surefire thing. But, you know, if you're making more than that, obviously, rest of the money, you'll be saving. And I think that's a really compelling case to think about really doing this thing about geo-arbitrage, which is living in a low-cost country. Yeah, that is very interesting, actually. I think in Singapore, it's probably 3 to 4K. Wow. So I think right here, if you want to just rent a studio apartment, for example, I think it goes about like uh, 2K. If, yeah. if you get, uh, yeah, probably 1, 1.8 to 2K. And therefore, if you want to kind of just like at least eat a little bit more comfortably, so that's a, that's adding on about another 2 to 2.5K. Yeah. You know, it's so yeah. funny. But, but then it's yeah. SGD, yeah. So so maybe a bit less lesser. It was so funny in Singapore because housing is very expensive, but in, you know, public transportation, eating, if you eat at the hawker centers and you don't, if you're not tempted to like be eating out of high-class restaurants, then yeah. I actually think Singapore can be affordable. And if you even choose to live out mm. in like Tampanese or like way out, you mm-hmm. know, in, in the <laughs> outskirts, like boarding Malaysia, you could get it down yeah. there. But I think that's not very practical, right? Because then you're kind of suffering for no reason, right? You might just go ahead and live in Bangkok. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, there's there's more things to do, and you also that you can travel up and down whenever you want to go to like the more suburb places. At least there's places to go. And in Singapore, you're just kind of trapped and confined within more or less an island. <laughs> yeah, so something to consider as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm. How can uh like for for listeners who want to kind of plan towards embarking on a nomad life like yours, right? How can how can someone actually plan it out you know plan plan the entire plan out if they are just starting from scratch so for example like me if yeah. i want to do uh, digital nomading and stuff like that how do i actually start yeah i'm glad you asked that nick because i'm going to teach you a very very simple thing you know mm-hmm. now like today has the best time ever to be a digital nomad because it's so easy with like the help of the internet right and these like companies set up for digital nomads right it just it just i can't imagine what it was like 20 years ago when you didn't have the internet it wasn't actually as mature it is as it is today you know it's so easy now just to pack up and go right i mean obviously you have to kind of move out and like do things like that but then once you kind of settle your things locally you know you could for example leverage airbnb you could book a place at least 20 days out you get the monthly discount and you know it'll it could it, you could resolve disputes. It's very easy to find a place. There's companies out there for medical insurance. You could pick and go. You could buy your insurance policy within 10 minutes. It'll cover you globally. Uh, Safety Wing is a very well-known company in the digital nomad space. You could get a local SIM card from the airport when you arrive. Gives you internet immediately. You could use a ride-hailing app like Grab, like Uber. 
is simple, right? You could also use Google Maps for navigation when you're in a neighborhood. You could get a co-working space via WeWork. You could read blogs. Like any major city will have excellent resources. When you type in, say, like the things to do in Istanbul or like best coffee shops in Istanbul, you get like immediately when the first top five results, you get a good, good, good online resources. So it, it requires like some research, but all the information mm -hmm. is there for you. So it is very, very, very easy to do this. Mm. It's kind of like the same format as planning for a trip, just that you're planning for a longer trip with more sustainable way of living, right? Because for a trip, you probably want to enjoy as much as you want, whereas this is kind of scaling back down. How can you sustain for longer periods of time, right? I think that's, that's a mindset. I actually think it's easier to plan going abroad for three months than it is going on vacation for one week because in one week, you're so pressured. You're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be here for one week. I'm going to maximize every single hour of my trip. And then you just have to research, research and like figure out what's the optimal point. But when you're going to say, and I've been in Istanbul for three months, you know, I make my plans for what to do only like a day before, like I've been here for the for a month now. And it just, it's, I feel like I don't have this pressure. Like I can just enjoy the neighborhood that I'm in. And I don't feel like I need to live in like the most tourist area of town. Like I live in a quieter neighborhood that's like right next to like where all the hustle and bustle is to give me some solitude and to give me some peace and quiet. So that's really helped a lot. Oh, okay, so how, how do you actually arrive at the decision of like, I would want to live in this neighborhood in Istanbul? Is there like any like areas? Because yeah. for me, I think if I plan a trip, so, so there's the context of planning for a holiday trip, right? I would actually have all my places of interest that I want to, I want to target. And then I kind of plan, plan it out on the Google Maps and I cross section all of them. So I kind of pick the optimal hotel hmm. in the middle of all those places. And then that would be the hotel. What yeah. was your decision points for Istanbul? Yeah, I, I think access to transportation matters, right? And so, you know, I don't want to be living out way in the suburbs or way in the countryside where it's really hard to like get transportation into the city. So I think living in the city definitely matters. And so I kind of look to see where the nearest kind of bus station or subway station is. And thankfully in Istanbul, there's actually a lot of good public transportation that's rather cheap. And in terms of what neighborhood, like I think a lot of it is like the, doing the research, right? I just type in best neighborhoods in Istanbul and then the first top five results will give me a good idea where to where to stay. I usually will ask my friends who've been to this place for their advice. And then I subscribe to a few digital nomad communities and I could just go and like ask them on Slack or on Discord, like, hey, like where, where you know, what neighborhoods do you live in? And usually they will give me the best, usually they will give me the best advice. So, you know, I could, I probably, if you give me a city, I could tell you within half an hour what probably what neighborhoods to live in. And that's like how, right. how, how the information is right there at your fingertips. You just need to know how to search for it. How do we get access to this, like, um, communities and stuff? If, if we want to get advice. Yeah. So the one that I use a lot is something called Nomad List. It's nomadlist.com. And this mm -hmm. site was started by another digital nomad. So this will we'll include it in the show notes as well. Exactly. It started by this guy who was a digital nomad. And he, you know, I think he started like maybe five, six years ago, maybe more than that. And he, while he was doing this whole nomad thing, he found it to be very lonely. Like he couldn't, he was not meeting the right people. And so he decided to create a community so that other people can join and and like talk about travel destinations to find travel buddies. And so this it grew into like a much bigger thing. And so I recently became a member and they have like Slack channels for every single country out there. So you could go in and like give yourself an introduction and you could ask for advice. And sometimes there's locals on it as well. So it's it's quite nice actually. Oh nice. 
I think I think this is also something very close to what we're trying to do, right? It's a power of community. So you're never navigating anything alone. If you want to do something, there will definitely be someone out there who is able to help you, right? So be the next the person beside you, the person who is also a listener of this podcast. Yeah, we want to build something like that. Yeah, and this is so interesting what you what you said, right? That sometimes sometimes I feel that talking to some groups of people, I feel like I'm like the very odd one out, right? I have this, you know, I'm kind of doing this thing right now, but then within this community that I'm in there's no it's like i'm a normal person so it's funny how that is yeah because like i guess people just get what you're doing and they already know what you're what you're going through right so challenges the things that perks you up and stuff like that they can relate to i think it's, it, that's the important of kind of uh, finding your tribe in life right exactly yeah. and so for nick <laughs> i want to ask you like so how, are you gonna are you deciding to maybe to leave Singapore? Like, what are your, what are your, what's your vision for 2021? Like, would you want to do the same thing that I'm doing? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this episode came at the right time as well because I'm also planning what, how I want to do this. So understanding how to plan your financials, which was very a very good insightful segment from you earlier. And also how to plan for accommodation. Understanding these two things will help me form the baseline of how to plan. And the, the cities that you mentioned are definitely the, the cities that were up my alley as well. So I definitely will, put that into consideration so in 2021 i will probably look at starting to travel maybe mid-year once borders open up for example i just i just got news that hong kong and singapore are opening up its borders to each other so kudos to that <laughs> shouts to hong kong yeah so there'll be a little bit more travel happening from start of 2021 for sure but not exactly to all these places for example thailand bangkok which is one city that you mentioned quite quite a lot uh, earlier i think that is still being put on hold i don't know how things will happen but definitely i think deciding all these things maybe in june that will give like a better there'll be a better time where more of answers are kind of rolled up like more borders opening and that's how we can plan forward yeah exactly yeah so this will be very helpful yes Thank you so much. Yeah, and the borders will open. Things will return back to normal. So again, it's better to like sort of have a plan right now when the yep. eventuality, yep. when it comes back. Because, you know, this this yeah. COVID thing is always is going to be temporary for sure. Yeah. So I think it's good for forming a vision right now. All right, we're going to close this week's episode. This has been somewhat like a eye-opener for me as well. So thank you, David, so much. If there's one advice to give our listeners, you know, David, what would it be? I I think the thing is that you know, this is, you know, this is like what a, what a nomad looks like. It's actually very strikingly, very normal, right? So like anyone, you know, if you want to do this, if you're thinking about it, I would always say like, you know, think about how to get there, right? It might not be tomorrow, but like have a plan now, right? And so I, I think I wanted to sort of speak to that because, you know, for me, like my, my nomad journey has been, has been great so far, right? And so I wanted to sort of share my experiences with you all so that you could have the same. Cool. All right, listeners out there, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Also, we want to hear from you. Do you have an interest in being a digital nomad yourself? What are your thoughts? And where are you in this process? Definitely hit us up and let us know. We can be found on Instagram at the other way cast. It's spelled T-H-E-O-T-H-E-R-W-A-Y-C-A-S-T. Links will be in the show notes. And meanwhile, if you have supporting questions, you know, or topics that you would like us to cover in our next episodes, please also feel free to DM us over there and we'll try to tackle it in our next topic. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please hop on Apple iTunes to give us a five-star rating and review. 
as this helps us gain more visibility on air, which gives us more opportunity to connect with more listeners like you. Right. And also be sure to catch our next episode next week as we dive into more tips and anecdotes to uh, navigating a modern life. So stay tuned and bye for now. Bye-bye.